All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Here's your formal welcome. Glad to see you today. Bunny, glad you joined us. Treat to have you with us. Treat to have all of you with us. Good to be together. There's a whole lot happening in the world. I'm glad that we all know who reigns. Jesus sits on the throne. He is the king over every nation. And he is Amen. Amen. And we are being busy about our father's business until that time. So let me open in prayer and I'm going to turn it over to Reuben who will be sharing the word with us. And could we have everyone mute themselves, please? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of coming together in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for the power of your name, the victory in your name. Thank you that you are our righteousness and our sanctification. Jesus, you are our peace. You are ever present with us. You are our banner. You're our shield and great reward. You're the one who goes before us and the one who goes behind us and lays your hand upon us. Thank you for the victory that is in you, Jesus. We stand under your banner, Adonai Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Thank you for being our shepherd, for leading us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, today, would you lead us in those paths of righteousness that will be a blessing for you and will make your name famous in the places where we are. I pray, Lord, that we would stay under your covering, under your love, walking in your joy, exhibiting your righteousness. Would you speak to us today through your word? I pray your anointing upon our brother, my husband, Reuben. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Janet. What a blessing. Well, wow, for the last several weeks, uh, Janet and I have been sharing from the book of Jonah, believing that there are many things in this simple four-chapter book uh, that we can relate to in a prophetic way of the days in which we now live. Uh, Janet did such a great job last week with part three of this four-part series. And for today, I'm going to conclude this series with part four. Uh, in chapter one, uh, given a little brief summary, we saw how the men on board the ship had paid a high price for Jonah's disobedience. This is what's so bad about our being disobedient. Not only do we pay a high price, there are others that pay a high price as well. We also notice the significance of the captain calling to Jonah to call on his God for the people to be saved. And we realize that we have the exact same calling that Jonah did. And we have the same commission in Messiah Jesus that we should call upon God that people might not perish. We are to cry out for the salvation of others. And I just loved how the captain's word to Jonah was so pure, so real, and so penetrating. Perhaps it is in the heart of your God that we might not perish. Wow. That's the heart cry of the spirit within men and women everywhere. Chapter one ends with Jonah being thrown overboard into the raging sea and swallowed by a huge fish. And what's amazing is that Jonah's death by drowning Burial in the fish and resurrection to life in this story makes him a powerful Old Testament figure concerning resurrection from the dead. 
And then in chapter two, Jonah recounts his experience in the fish in crying out to God from that place of Sheol, the place of the dead, that the chapter ends with the fish vomiting a resurrected Jonah onto the shore. Wow, he must have really looked unusual. Three days of juices of the stomach. Of course, he may not have actually been in there three days. He just may have been in the heart of the earth or in the sea. Anyway, let's turn to chapter three. So I'd encourage you all to have a little notebook next to you in case you want to jot down a note or a scriptural reference. I've, I've learned that the older I get, the less I remember. And you might be following suit in that camp. So I want to encourage you just to get something to be able to take a quick note if you need to, or if you want to have something to come back to, to refer to sometime in the future. Jonah chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I love this verse. I love this verse, especially the phrase, the second time. Because to me, it speaks of forgiveness and a second chance. And what a privilege that we serve the God of the second chance. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. God gave Jonah a second chance to obey what he had called him to do. And aren't you glad that God often gives us second chances to obey him? Praise God he doesn't treat us or, or that we don't deserve the punishment that the angels did. One fall, one fall. And that was it. They were judged forever. Of course, they saw him in his fullness. Verses 2 and 3. Jonah 3, verses 2 and 3. Here's the commission. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city that would take a three-day journey to cross. So now we see in God's mercy and love, what did he do? He recommissioned his servant with the same orders. But you know, for Jonah to move on with God, he needed to do the last thing that God told him to do in chapter 1, verse 2. And friends, we will never know more concerning God's plans for us until we do what we already know to do. I'll repeat that. We will never know more concerning God's plans for our lives until we do what we already know to do. Disobedience hinders our ongoing revelation of God and our ability to discern his leading. But after we obey, he often gives us further directions. Now let's look at verses 5 through 9. Here's the result of obedience. So the people of Nineveh believed God. Wow, that's huge right there. But they went beyond they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, 
and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Wow, that sounds so familiar to the words that the captain spoke to Jonah. So we have almost the same thing being spoken by the lips of a captain and a king. And how wonderful that our Jesus is both of those. He's the captain of our salvation and he's the king of kings. Perhaps it is in the heart of our God that all the people around us should not perish. Well, in Jonah's day, Nineveh's population was around 600,000 people. And what's really amazing is that Jonah's prophecy concerning judgment in 40 days, it was actually suspended because of their repentance. It lasted for about 200 years. Because around the year 600 BC, 200 years later, the city was finally overthrown by the Babylonians. But I think it's important for us to see how genuine humility and repentance deeply touch the heart of our God. And I want you to catch this. It's not only if my people, looking at the first term in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It's not just if my people, it's if any people. These Assyrians were fierce, pagan atheists. But the Spirit of God wants to reveal to us right here in our day that there is such amazing power that's released in repentance. And if only every city would respond and have a tender heart, as Nineveh did, as ruthless and as pagan as they were, they had a heart prepared to hear something from heaven. If only cities in our day would re respond and repent as the, Ninevites, as the Ninevites did. You know, just use your imagination for a moment. Nineveh. Everyone in the city was fasting and wearing face masks. No, I'm just kidding. They were wearing much worse than face masks. They were wearing sackcloth. Sackcloth is very uncomfortable, terrible, scratchy, itchy, and they put it on just so they would have discomfort to their flesh. It's an itchy material worn when people humbled themselves all throughout Bible times. And then everyone was fasting, including the pets, and they were laying aside all of their normal comforts. 
Verses 7 and 8 says that, that even the family pets were forced to fast and to wear sackcloth. This is unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Me and my imagination, I've tried to imagine what it would be like to put a little piece of sackcloth around the parakeet. Can you imagine your cat or your dog wearing a sackcloth? I mean, they'd be trying to get it off all the time. Nonetheless, this is what the entire city did. An entire city being saved was an act of God's grace in response to sincere humility. But the city getting saved was not the only purpose that was in God's heart concerning Nineveh. Because if that were true, the book of Jonah would have ended with chapter 3. But it continued into chapter 4. God does not only want us to be saved from our sin. He also has holy and redemptive purposes for us after we are saved. In fact, his ultimate purpose is to transform us until we reflect Jesus. There's Romans 8.29. We're to be transformed and conformed into the image of our Messiah. But you know, all throughout Jonah's journey, God was watching the attitudes and the motives of his heart. And we see God's focus on hearts as we read from 1 Samuel 16. There in that chapter, God said to Samuel, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God always looks at our hearts. Always. Hundreds of thousands of Ninevites saw God reverse his intended judgment because they feared him. And what did God hope to see in Jonah's heart? The messenger of the Lord. As he was merciful to Nineveh, don't you think he was looking for compassion and thanksgiving? But what did he find? Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You see, the truth is Jonah wanted to see Nineveh destroyed, not saved. And he lacked God's heart of compassion. Look at verse 3. Jonah's tenderness inside the whale was lost once he got on his feet again. He was so intimate inside the fish. All of a sudden, something changed, even in a resurrected state. God is always, always looking for compassion 
Jonah was angry that God extended mercy and forgiveness to his enemies. Here God's prophet had his word, but he did not have his heart. His servant had his word, but did not have his heart. Jonah lacked godly character. And friends, all of God's dealings, all of them, with us, are meant to develop his character within us. And he's always looking for the reflection of his son in us, no matter what kind of trial we are experiencing. Look at verse 4. The Lord then asked Jonah if he had good reason to be mad. Jonah didn't answer. He knew he couldn't defend his anger. Here there were people all over Nineveh repenting and in sackcloth, weeping for their sins. And the prophet was angry because they were getting right with God. Jonah was unrighteous in his anger. Look at verse 5. So Jonah walks out of the city and he finds a cool, shady place to rest so that he could see what would happen. And you know, he was probably hoping that, man, he'd have a fireworks display. There'd be fire and brimstone coming down out of heaven on Nineveh, just as it did in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. But verse 6, instead, God was merciful and gracious to Jonah again by now providing a plant for him in the shade of the 120-degree heat. And for this, Jonah was grateful. <laughs> and then in verse 7, God causes a worm to make the plant wither. What a creative story. Verse 8, then God sent a scorching wind. Once again, Jonah wished to die. I'll tell you, this whole ordeal was a massive emotional upheaval for this man. And then look at verse 9. God again asked him if his anger was justified. But this time, Jonah had to answer. Jonah had to answer. He said, yes, it is right for me to be angry. Friends, we are often guilty of the same thing. It is too easy for us to be more sensitive to our own interests and comforts than we are to the spiritual needs of the people around us. And then we have the last two verses, 10 and 11. The Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern their right hand and their left and many livestock? Now, let me just ask you a question, because this puzzled me for a, uh, a good while until um, I heard someone share an insight years and years ago in Israel, and it just really helped. What kind of person cannot discern between their right and left hands? Hmm. I'll give you the answer. 
babies, and young toddlers. Babies don't know the right hand from the left. They just go reach. Imagine 120,000 babies in this city that Jonah wants fire from heaven to come down and consume them. God is showing his compassion for babies. But you know, sometimes we wish that judgment would come upon sinners whose wickedness is overwhelming. That, that's part of our old Adamic nature. But God is more merciful than man is. He feels compassion for the sinners that we want to see judged. And he devises plans to bring them to himself. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That was 2 Peter 3, 9. So let me ask today, what is your attitude toward those who are especially wicked? Do you want them judged and punished? Or do you pray that they will experience God's mercy and forgiveness? Let's just take an overlook of God's compassion in this book. God spared the sailors, pagan sailors, that were on the boat with Jonah. He spared them on the ship when they pleaded for mercy. That moved God's heart. God saved Jonah when he prayed from inside the fish. God saved the people of Nineveh when they repented. Friends, God wants us to know in this book, he answers the prayers of all who call upon him. And he wants everyone to be saved. Amen. Amen. Now, there are a number of real powerful life lessons in this prophetic book of Jonah. He lived around 850 BC, and yet his life has powerful implications for those of us who are living today some 2,870 years later than when Jonah lived. So here's the question that I want to leave with you today. <clears throat> when you have done the will of God, happily or unhappily, quickly or dragging your feet, what was your attitude afterward? Did you resent his choosing you for that assignment? Are you angry toward the people involved in your assignment? Your family? Or friends? Mission field? The place where you work? What about your church? Or school? Or neighbors? Ask yourself and be painfully honest. Have you resented his mercy and grace toward those that you've shared it with? Do you regret that you obeyed the Lord 
and the cost that was required for your obedience, is there any element of regret? Or even perhaps this, if you had it to do over, would you do it again? Or in another way? You see, if not, then your comfort and preferences are more important to you than doing the will of God. And if you obeyed at the time, but your attitude then or now stinks, then you failed the test of character that God had assigned for you. I think the Lord is asking all of us, how surrendered are we to the life of Jesus having its full way within us? And are we really becoming more like Jesus through our obedience or is our disobedience stopping his growth process? Or have you obeyed but then look for comfortable shade to sit in or sit under and sulk in? That's what Jonah did. I think he's looking for us to develop the heart of our loving father who gave his all to redeem sinful mankind, including the Ninevites, including the Assyrians. And for some of us, including the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents, including the Chinese and the Russians. The Lord doesn't want us to obey him grudgingly or be unwilling to give up what is required for pure obedience. And the bottom line is that God puts all of us through character tests, every one of us. And he does that to see if we will submit to his process of conforming more to the image of his son. So I think the last words in this study is that the Lord is wanting to encourage us to not just obey his words to us, but let's pass, let each of us pass his character tests. Jonah failed. Let's not just walk in our calling, but let's live out the fruit of the Spirit. That abiding love, that abiding joy, that abiding shalom, that abiding patience, that abiding kindness and goodness, that abiding faithfulness and gentleness, and that abiding self-control. Let's pray. Father, this has been an amazing book. The life story of a, a precious servant of yours. Lord Jonah was exalted and is exalted to such a unique place. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, you said, and no sign shall be given unto it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Lord, what an end time sign for us today. 
And there will be times when you, our calling and your commission is difficult. We're going to want to run. We're going to want to be like Jonah. We're going to want to go in the opposite direction. But your spirit is just leading us. If you obey, it's the better way. If you obey, it's the better way. And Lord, today we want to choose your way over our way. That's the battle of our will. And Lord, you do have a desire for the city to come to a place of redemption. But you first want the intercessors to be standing in the gap to pray that the hardened hearts of men and women would become softened. Lord, there must have been some type of intercession from someone, somewhere, that had softened the hearts of the Ninevites. To hear a Jewish man walk through the streets of an Assyrian of the Assyrian capital, prophesying strongly, 40 days, repent, turn or burn. And God, rather than stoning him and immediately silencing that message, there was a place in their hearts where they heard it, they responded to it, and they did exercise full repentance. But Lord, that won't happen if we're not praying and interceding that you would prepare the soil of men's and women's hearts so that they could receive seed from heaven. That parable of the sower and the seed, Lord, we want to be intercessors, men and women of prayer that could intercede in such a way so that hearts could be ready to receive seed that would bear fruit 30, 60, and even a hundredfold return. And Lord, we're just so grateful that when we've blown it, and we all have, you're the God of the second chance. Thank you that you spoke to Jonah the second time. And you've spoken to each of us on this call a second time. Sometimes a third time. Even a fourth time. Lord, would you deliver us from the evil of resistance to your will? I pray that this could be a day of transformation. Lord, the book of Jonah is meant to not end up like that servant. He was obedient for a season, but the moment he gained his proper footing and was able to walk in his own strength, he went back to some old ways. And God, I pray you would hold us, keep us, Lord. Protect us from going back, looking back, turning back. So Father, I pray that you do such a redeeming work in us that we'd have the upward look and the forward look and the obedient heart to say, speak, Lord, your bondservants are listening. And in your grace and by your spirit and in your power, we will walk in it. To the glory of God, expressed in the person of our Lord and Savior, our Captain and our King, Jesus. Amen. Janet, is there anything that you'd like to pray into or say anything? No.
You're muted, Janet. Okay, sorry. No, I think you covered it really well. I you think those last questions are significant for all of us. Sometimes we think, well, we did the will of God. Now it's over. We move on to the next job he has for us. But uh, we don't maintain that place of victory and purity and peace and joy in our hearts. We're just kind of glad it's over. And I, the fact that God's looking for us to pass the character test all the time is significant. It's not just what we do, it's how we do it. It's the attitudes we do it with. It's our priorities in the midst of it all. Do we come out reflecting more of Jesus or do we just come out glad that it's over? And, you know, some of our assignments are just mundane things, taking care of people or taking care of the house or paying the bills, you know, whatever's right in front of us. We're to always serve the Lord with gladness, whether it's in the big things or the little things. So poor Jonah, he was a key figure in the Old Testament, but he, he failed at the end because he didn't, he didn't pass the character test. The book closes and he's still angry still upset. So we don't know what ultimately happened, happened to him, but may we finish our race well. May we come through glorifying the Lord, praising him, loving others. You know, pray that all of us at the end of our lives, we can say like, Paul, I have finished the course. I've run the race. I've kept the faith. And there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness for those who love him. So let's do that. Let's be among that number. Do any of you have any, any comments on this? I know you all have a wealth of wisdom. Love to hear any of it. If you want to unmute yourself and say something, please do. Yes, I was, in, this is David Skelton. I was impressed with what uh, you were saying, <clears throat> Reuben, and what you were saying, Janet, regarding the character test. And uh, as you were talking, Reuben, about uh, how Jonah failed that, I was reminded of Moses he struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock. I've always thought that was a little harsh of, of God. <laughs> let me judge God, yeah. Uh, that was a little harsh to not let him go into the land of living. But I think what we saw, it was more than just an act. It was like you said, a character test, a flaw of the heart. And uh, so, I don't know, it, it just came to mind that, you know, uh, even someone like Moses could have that weakness of heart and character at a very important time. Yeah, good point. Thanks, David. I really was encouraged by this whole, um, uh, this whole study on Jonah. And today, um, I really was touched by everything that was said, but in particular, um, the fact that, Reuben, you pointed out that through the scripture, through Jonah, that it isn't just God's people who are called by his name, pray, that yes, he does listen to everyone. And we as his people should be humbling ourselves and praying and, and that other people's eyes would be open to truth I'm thinking of what's going on right now. We do want people's eyes to be open, but really, do we want them to be open for our own, so our own gain so we'll be better as a nation? No, we want them to be open to see at least what President Trump 
values and stands for is righteousness that God's eye that God would open their eyes to and that he's able and if we stand in the gap God is able to change their hearts to help them to see righteousness and have the light the light from above come on into their lives into their hearts now that just touched me I mean I guess I I you know there's a difference between when unbelievers pray but when other uh, unbelievers pray to him he does hear them i don't know it just hit me in such a new and fresh way it was very encouraging and i'm going to pass it along to other people who i have in my sphere of influence good well we will uh have this up on our website uh the highland senior adult webpage under recorded media uh, all the other messages of jonah are there except for last week unfortunately i was doing the recording and i didn't i forgot about it until midway hello it happens yeah but um and janet did such a great job last week i mean each of these uh four weeks um uh, bunny you're so you're so spot on god has things to tell us and insight and revelation to give us you know i I love how, uh, I only saw this recently, how both the captain and the king had the same thing to say. Perhaps, perhaps it is in the heart of your God that we should not perish. Here's the sinners, the, the, the hardened sinners that are crying out, maybe, maybe it's in the heart of your God that we should not perish. So it's if any people will call yeah. upon God. So, that, that, that gives us hope, uh, and it should encourage us to be the intercessors that are needed, that people would be able to have ears to hear what the Spirit would say. And I, I just love Psalm 43. This has been a, my mainstay all throughout COVID. Verses 3 and 4. Oh, David's heart cries, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead us. He says me, but I, I make it into the plural. Let them lead us. Let them bring us to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you. With my mouth I will praise you, O God, my God. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Uh, we need to just pray that the Lord would send out light and truth. We have darkness covering the earth and gross darkness to people. I mean, it's gotten so ridiculous that now political leaders are saying, you need to wear a mask 24 seven. I mean, hey, yeah, you're out in the woods by yourself, wear a mask. You know, there's unnatural reasoning that's taking place because we've deflected both light and truth. We need to pray that light and truth would lead us, lead everyone into the mountain of God, to the place where he dwells, and that's the beginning place of repentance. And pray against the spirit of deception. Yeah. That's Anybody so powerful. Else? Thank you. Anybody else? Riven, I'm just so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit to guide us. These people didn't have the Holy Spirit, you know, and yet they turned to God. How much more a 
accountable are we when we have the Holy Spirit to guide us? It's a great point. I like the part that Jonah had a second chance to do it right. Because in my account, he didn't do it and he went the opposite direction. I just get somebody else. But I, I didn't think about the pat, the, his attitude. That That's important, too. Guys, I got the second chance to Joan, to Janet, to Reuben, to David, to Betty, to Tonican, to Sherry, to Marie, to Jen, to Elvire, to Peter, to Bunny. To Jackie, to Darlene, to Eva, to Alan, to all of us. Praise what God. A great God. The God of the second chance. Oh, Lord. And at times, his mercy to give us a third chance. Yeah. Or a fourth chance. Oh, my goodness. He is full of compassion. He's the essence of compassion and mercy. What a God we serve. What a God. You're absolutely right. And compassion I have experienced a lifetime, and I'm saying this as a wonderful thing, of God's compassion, mm. mercy to me. Mm. Amen. Awesome. Well, we can all say that whether or not we realize it. He's been well, it's true, but I just know the things that I've yeah. gone through, and I've just seen God's loving kindness, compassion, mercy, and grace all undeserved tumbling and he never wants us to forget that he's a god of just justice and he's yeah. a god of discipline our father is not like maybe our natural fathers who maybe didn't spank us or give us the correction that was needed for course redirection not our god right i'm gonna say i want you to come here to the spiritual woodshed he has his own way of disciplining us and sometimes it's severe. It is severe, but that's his love. He loves us too much to let us get away with staying the same. What a God we that's serve. What, that's why it's so humbling, because he is a just God. And he has every right to minister our justice. Yep, amen. Anyone else before we, we've got a few minutes left before... Uh, it's 11 I just wanted to say that I know there's a reason, but I'm just sorry the book of Jonah ended when it did, <laughs> that it didn't keep on. <laughs> so much in there. Yeah, you just wonder, what's next? <laughs> well, I think that part of it is, it, it could be that the Lord is looking to inspire us and to encourage us to pass the character tests. Because that's what it all came down to. I mean, he went through so many incredible things. I mean, what testimony. In but when it came to the biggest, excuse me, the biggest issue of life, he blew it big time. And I know that we're tested, um, even as Jackie said, as she noticed, the element of attitudes. I'll never forget in Israel, uh, back in the 90s, the greatest enemy of the Jewish people was a man by the name of Yasser Arafat. And since all of us are over 50, we all know who I'm talking about. And I'll never forget when 
uh, I was leading the prayer meeting for a one month assignment. The three of us pastors would rotate. And uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had just won the election and we all had a great time of praying for him. I felt the scripture of Second Timothy, uh, First Timothy 3, or First uh, Timothy 2, pray for those in authority and especially for kings and rulers. And the end result is that it might be well with us. We might live a peaceable life. Well, everyone was able to pray for, uh, for uh, Netanyahu so wonderfully. I mean, it was hard to get a prayer in edgewise. People were praying. The moment someone stopped, someone else would jump in. And, I, and people, they're stepping over each other. It was wonderful. And the next week, I said, we're going to pray the same scripture. We're going to pray for those in authority. But we're going to pray for a different person this time. The man who heads up the Palestinian Authority is who we need to pray for tonight, and his name is Yasser Arafat. You could hear hearts beating in their chests. It was so quiet. It was, uh, it was sobering, and, and I, I've shared this story numerous times. Maybe some of you have heard it, uh, but it, it was such a powerful witness to me. And Janet and I had talked about this before that prayer meeting. I said, babe, you and I are not going to be the first to pray for Yasser Arafat. I want to see what happens. And we went 10 minutes of silence in a prayer meeting. It was death. It was terrible. And then you could hear some people sighs. <sighs> like, Oh, what are we doing this for? So I would encourage, I say, okay, who's going to be the first one to pray for Yasser Arafat? And don't you know that there was someone that said, I pray that you'd kill him, Lord. I pray that you'd shoot him. And I, I, and I just said, no, 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 no. We're not going to pray like that. <laughs> we need to have the heart of God to pray for this man. We went another five minutes of silence. It was the most agonizing prayer meeting I maybe have ever been in. And I remember about 40 minutes had lapsed and I had to give a couple of exhortations about what Jesus said, that we're not only to pray for our friends, we're even to pray for our enemies and to love our enemies. And the first step of loving our enemies is to be able to pray for them. And yet we can't even pray for him. How much love deficit does that show in our hearts if we're not able to pray for our enemies? So I said, this is it. This is one last chance. Is there anyone that can pray for Yasser Arafat tonight? And finally, this sweet young girl that was a new immigrant from America prayed the sweetest, nicest prayer for Yasser Arafat. And I concluded the prayer meeting. I said, well, praise the Lord. We had an hour prayer meeting and we had one prayer. But next week, we're going to pray for Yasser Arafat. We're going to pray for this man who's in authority. And I would encourage you, if the Lord does not deal with your heart, your heart attitude, concerning taking the first step of loving your enemies by praying for them, that I would encourage you to stay home next week. Do not come to the prayer meeting. Because those that do come, we are going to pray for Yasser Arafat. But I would pray that you would search your heart this week 
and ask the Lord to tenderize your heart and give you prayers that are on his heart for this man that we all have a problem with, but God is longing to save, to bring him to a place of salvation. Well, don't you know that, of course, everyone talked about that prayer meeting that we prayed for Yasser Arafat. But the next week, we had a packed house of people that were ready. They had done studies about Yasser Arafat, how he was sexually abused as a child, how he was verbally abused all of his teenage years growing up. He was a man of such abuse, no wonder he turned out the way that he did. He is a product of devastation that happened all throughout his life. So we prayed inner healing for him. We prayed so many wonderful things for Yasser Arafat. Man, we were all looking to see if he'd get saved within the next week. But if we can hurdle the attitudes in our hearts to get to a place of receiving attitudes that are in God's heart, perhaps we could pray and find the heart of our God that is not willing for anyone to perish. That's what God wants in all of us. Anybody else? We have a, just a couple minutes left. Anybody else have any comment? Uh, By the way, we will not meet next week. We will not 